Welcome to Just Black Talking. I am your host, Dr. Justin Black, and today we have a wonderful topic to discuss again in Black History Month. I think this is a very special topic. In comedy, there's always some truth that makes for the best comedy. A stereotypical joke is that Black people can't swim. There's some truth in that. USAswimming.org quotes as high as 70% of Black children who are unable to swim. The World Health Organization has labeled an epidemic of drowning for socioeconomically disadvantaged children, children of color, children of special needs. So there is some truth there that makes a joke like Black people can't swim strike very real and very close to home. And so today, very happy to welcome to the Just Black Talking podcast the owner, operator, Coach Marvin Thorpe II of 4M Swim and Recreation. Coach, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Thank you, Dr. Black, for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk with you. And we have a very, very interesting topic that you have uh, decided to discuss today. I'm so appreciative for you joining and spending time with us here today. I have to say you're one of the most humble of our local icons, impact players that we have. And we'll talk a little bit about that legacy and that history. And matter of fact, why don't we start with that? You own and direct and operate an organization. Can you identify that and introduce yourself as along the way? So my name is Marvin A. Thorpe II. You did say that. My father, Marvin A. Thorpe Sr., started the organization in 1972. He called it the 4M Swim Club. And the four M's came from Marvin himself. My mom's name was Mary Magdalene. My name is Marvin the second. And he said, don't let anybody call you junior. You're the second. And then my sister's name is Marcia. So four M swim club came from the four of us. And actually, when he started in 1972 and all of that, all four of us actually worked it. My mom did a lot of the admin. He taught the swimming lessons. I taught the swimming lessons and my sister taught the swimming lessons. Now, as time has progressed over the last 40 plus, almost 50 years, things have changed a little. But that's where the 4M came from. We had very humble beginnings in the in the backyard, which I still am doing lessons there. But someday that won't be the case either. But 1972 to today, this summer will make 49 years of Learn to Swim. 49 years in Windsor Mill, which is uh, an area just outside of Baltimore City. That is correct. I am familiar with you because I am one of the many students that your father, uh, Mr. Thorpe, the first, was able to influence and, and, and teach how to swim when I was probably about nine years old, I think. Uh, okay. So some years ago. And so you undoubtedly were around at that time uh, helping out with the swim school. And so we have met and now we cross paths once again here many years later. And so very excited uh, to be back united with you again. 1972 in the backyard. Let's talk a little bit just about some of the story. There's kind of a, um, a published story about how uh, your father came to become an instructor and teach swimming and, and feel so uh, impassioned about it? Well, my dad came from a town in Virginia called Lynchburg, Virginia. Lynchburg, Virginia, L-Y-N-C-H, Lynchburg with the noose in mind. Uh, and so at that part of the world, at that time, there was one pool and all the people of color learned how to swim at that pool. My dad's dad was a caretaker of that pool. 
and he used to go to work with him and uh, no formal swimming lessons. But my dad watched the lifeguard. He watched the lifeguard and he kind of learned how to swim watching him. And he used to always tell me the story of how he almost drowned three times. Uh, but he was just determined that he was going to learn how to swim. So he would just jump back in and, you know, him, him being the child of the person that took care of the pool, they kind of knew who he was. But my dad just didn't seem to want to quit trying to mimic what he saw the lifeguards do. Obviously, they were of another ethnicity. So uh, coming from that, Moving to Baltimore in the late 50s, my dad got a job with the Baltimore City Parks and Recs, and he was taking care of pools and et cetera. He also then went on uh, finishing his education. He became a physical education teacher. I got plenty of education on you're not a gym teacher. He's not a gym teacher. Gym is a place. He's a physical education teacher. At the time, a lot of the cities and pools in the city, because he taught for Baltimore City, some of them had pools. And he would take it upon himself uh, to teach lessons at some of the pools. Uh, His homeschool was School 64, which is right off of Libby Heights in Garrison. And they had a pool there. Uh, And I've run into people of third generation that said, you know, your father taught me how to swim at school 64. And I'm like, what? You know, I didn't even know about this. So my dad was kind of doing it around town. I didn't have a place. But uh, lo and behold, he purchased a home where you took lessons in the the pool. The house had a pool in the yard. And Mm -hmm. uh, he tells a story. He used to tell me all the time how him and the man were haggling over the price of the house. And he was like, you know what? If you're not going to give me the price I want, then just take the pool out. Just take the pool out. And I guess the gentleman said, I don't want to do that. So then anyway, he ended up purchasing the house with the pool. Uh-huh. And that wasn't a big thing for my dad because he took care of pools. He grew up doing that. So he knew how to do it. Uh, I guess for him also just to be able to get rid of it was probably some less or amount of work that he would have to do. But anyway, he... uh took over the pool, you know, serviced it and was out cleaning the pool one day. And I was out there with him. I was four, relatively tall because I am kind of tall. But uh, uh, usually your above ground pools are about four feet. So for somebody that's four years old, even though above ground pool is generally shallow for someone that's four years old, that's kind of the deep end for that child. So uh, while my dad was cleaning the pool, I asked him, could I put my legs in? He said, fine, sit down, put your legs in. Then I asked him, can I put my arms in? And leaning over to put my arms in while my legs were already in, I fell in the pool. I fell in the pool. And he said, you know, obviously he had to get me out. But then he thought, I got to teach him how to swim because if I don't, he's going to kill himself. He's going to drown. Which is very, very common, unfortunately. Very common. In their own backyard, that happens. Kids are very, very curious about water. So he did that. And when he taught me how to swim, he just taught other kids in the neighborhood. And in the neighborhood I live in, it was lots of kids. From that day forward, every summer since he was a Baltimore City City school teacher, physical education teacher. He was off in the summer. So he would do that. And he would, you know, he just built his program and he began to to run it uh, that way. And And the program grew by word of mouth. He he did it every summer. He was, a, like I said, he was a physical education teacher. So he was off every summer and that was what he loved to do. And so he would just schedule the classes and, and do his thing. Which the community is, is so impacted and, and grateful for. You mentioned a couple of things, and I, I want to go back just because I think it's worth discussing. You know, we don't get to this day, this modern day joke about not being able to swim without some history. And and you touched on a good amount of it. Uh, Lynchburg, you mentioned that your father had one pool that he had access to. Okay. Now, uh, historically, we have a very complex and racialized history in the U.S. with swimming. In the early 1900s, 1920s, 1930s, swimming, particularly public municipal pools, were a high priority. And they were built and developed by cities to much grandeur, actually. Some of these pools were were humongous, football-sized pools, but they were not accessible to Black Americans. And so this begins some of the discourse, some of the lack of generational skill set and learning that Black Americans uh, could have had. But it's America, so it's not just a matter of policy. There's also implications and implementations of uh, racism. Right. So some of the more public 
issues of this were in, in the Pittsburgh area at mm-hmm. Highland Park Pool, where it had become common for police guards to prohibit blacks from coming into pools. But in this particular area, it was more of a, um, a vigilantism of, of the neighborhood uh, whites mm-hmm. who were at the pool, mm-hmm. preventing teenage kids, boys from coming into the pool to the point of beatings, assaults, battery, mm-hmm. bloodied, mm-hmm. just for kids wanting to come and swim. Mm-hmm. This doesn't just become an isolated incident there. This racialization and, and segregation of pools uh, is across the country. This is so big of a deal, in fact, that in 1948, Strom Thurmond, while running for president of this nation, he, he made reference to this segregation of swimming. And let, let me see here if I have a little bit of the, the audio on that. Just give me a second here. And I don't know if that was clear for you to hear. That's someone running for president here saying that I'm here to tell you there's not enough troops in the country to force the Southern people to allow for the the in race mm-hmm. to come into our theaters. And the second thing he says is our swimming pools. Yes. Then he says our homes. Okay. And to great applause, as you, as you may have heard, we talk about white flight in real estate. We talk about neighborhoods and, and blacks come in and white folks move away. Mm-hmm. But there's evidence and there's studies that show that when pools were integrated by blacks, the white flight was even greater. We talk about those 1920s, 1930s, these very large municipal pools. When they were finally desegregated in the 40s and the 50s, and and it was mandated by law that, yes, Blacks can come in, then another problem uh, emerged. And that was the problem of fear of really a couple things. But one, the, the, the overarching fear was that of gender. We don't want these Black males around these white females. You are saying it, sir. In this intimate space. You are saying it. There's nothing really more intimate than being in your bathing suit. That is correct. Okay. And so there was this, uh, you know, we don't, we know the history of the hypersexualization of, of blacks and all of these other very negative uh, attributes that are unfairly bestowed upon them. But the concept was we can't have these black men ogling these white women in their bathing suits. And unfortunately, they don't want to f- fact, uh, like the fact that maybe they like the women like seeing it as well. They maybe don't want, so. don't want any parts they of that. Don't want any parts of that. Add to that some other ignorance about germs and dirt. Oh, blacks are dirty. We don't want to be in the pool, these dirty pools. So you, you have this very ugly part of our history in this country that first is exclusionary. Then, of course, in the typical American way, is met with violence to try to instill fear and and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and intimidation. And then finally, you have white flight. And that white flight from the municipal pools is interesting. The pools begin to close because participation and, and attendance is plummeting. But whites are creating private pool clubs. Right, right. So that they can swim privately That's and right. still exclude you. That's right. And another thing, what you mentioned at that home that your father negotiated so deftly, mm-hmm. private home pools. Of course. Because n- now we don't have to worry about the rules at all. Yeah. We have over to our home who we want yes, to swim. Suzanne, and it's not going to be you. <laughs> and it will not be you or me. Right. So I, I only bring this up because I think it's relevant to to go through the arc of how we end up at this place where the World Health Organization is telling you this is an epidemic of drowning for, for minority kids, for black kids. And more than twice the amount of black children are unable to swim than white children. Of course. Up to 70%. Yeah. This is this is a life skill that every human should have. That is correct. And in the United States, particularly, we are we are woefully behind. So I, I wanted to put some context to that. And I appreciate you uh, uh, giving us kind of the synopsis, the summary of your father's journey 
his passion. He was a passionate man. I remember yeah. that even as yeah. a young student. Yes, he uh, was. <laughs> but he was a man who was certain about what was important and not letting it be diminished. Like you said, you're not a gym teacher. The gym is the location, but physical education is the instruction. That's correct. Now, he was more of a self-taught instructor. That's correct. Can you speak a little bit more about the importance of instruction and expertise? I would say that certainly my dad did learn how to swim on his own. Mm -hmm. However, in his early days, and I like to look at him as trailblazing or pioneering days, he did go and get the certifications from the American Red Cross to make his program a legitimate program. Now, he did do things differently. And I certainly think and still do them differently because primarily the American Red Cross curriculum was not necessarily written for people of color because we don't swim. So how can it really be written for? (laughs) It's not really written for us. And in his methodologies and his outcomes, he did not always necessarily match up to the same things that the American Red Cross wanted, but he stayed with that program and I did as well. And I think that is fair because certainly I have had all ethnicities from people of color, brown, Caucasians, Asian, Indian, you name it. I've had them all, but primarily mostly people of color. So therefore, the outcomes should certainly look to service the mass majority of people who you teach. And so my dad was a masterful, I would say he was a master teacher of master teachers. And so many of uh, the people that I, I run into now mention the impact But also, even in my swim team, I have a couple of coaches that have been a part of the learn to swim where my dad taught them how to teach other people how to swim. He was great. He was he was a master at that. And uh, they are part of the program. He he just fostered a love of teaching swimming and he was really good at it. But again, he didn't just come up with something out of his own cognitive space. He did line it up so that he had a legitimate program. And I think that just him being a master teacher, his methodologies uh, were just 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 something that was are still not often repeated. I I don't know that they're repeated or duplicated anywhere, to be honest with you. And and the truth of the matter is you mentioned he uh, did the Red Cross program to legitimize the program. And, And when you bring up legitimate now. You've taken on this legacy, but here in 2020, you are the USA Swimming Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Award winner. Yes, sir. Recognized nationally. Yes, sir. Okay. Out of each state's nominee, it was you. So, you know, I mentioned at the beginning how humble you are, but what's going on with 4M and what has been going on now going into the 49th year is noteworthy. It's impactful. And it's frankly, it's legendary. And we are all better for it. I'm grateful to God that I'm able to continue to do it, to grow the program, but most certainly to be of service to our kids. It's not like I need to say it, but if I don't think and look out for our kids, who's going to? Let let me ask you something else here. How do you think uh, because there's evidence here about swimmers and, and their academic correlations. Yeah. How do you see swim instruction and confidence and mastery as it relates to scholarship in our in our youth? I would say, first off, that swimming is something that's good in terms of developing the personality of an individual, firstly. Okay. Because in your younger swimmers, in order to be successful you've got to have a certain amount of determination, physicality, and developing the confidence that you can do it. From our community in particularly, we don't have that supporting structure of, oh, everybody here does it. Now, if it's basketball, great, but Mm -hmm. not for swimming. Mm -hmm. So you've Mm got to kind of, I don't want to say fly solo, but you know, there's not a lot of people, when I think about the children on my swim team, they can't go to school and talk about Swimming to other kids at their school. Yeah, yeah. It develops a certain level of individualism 
and strength and confidence in the skills that you know, which is great for our kids, especially teenage girls, as they develop their ideology about who they are and deal with confidence, et cetera, et cetera. Certainly, um, when you go a little bit further, obviously, there are scholarships for swimmers, not as many as for football, basketball, and baseball, obviously. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. there are opportunities for scholarship for swimming, and that's wonderful. But what I will say typically to most parents is that swimming is a professional choice. It's almost like a career choice, if you will, even when you start at the age of five, six, seven, because when that child then if they learn how to swim, go on and do a little bit more in swimming. They don't have to be a Simone Manuel or a Cullen Jones. But if they go on a little further in terms of 13, 14, 15, 16, approaching the age where they can work, certainly they can pass the lifeguard test. So there's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Now, Coach, you mentioned uh, Cullen Jones and, and Simone. You, you need to explain who they are. These are not the uh, the, the the next LeBron James for, right. the, for the common people, but these are some of our USA hopefuls, no? Medalists. Cullen Jones uh, is a world record holder. Uh, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. I don't want to. He's an awesome, awesome uh, young man. And Simone Manuel is also a, a medalist in our Olympics and of color. And so they're worthy to be mentioned, not because I know all of the individual statistics, but what I will say is that as individuals, you must take your hat off to them. You've got to respect them to know that they have gone to the pinnacle of the swimming world and come home with a medal. As someone of color, can you imagine what it's like to win a gold medal and nobody, except for a few of your family members, look like you. Can you imagine the looks? Can you imagine what they're saying? Can you imagine what that's like to continue in a sport where you know they singing, thinking and saying stuff and you still going and being successful and you beating? Can you imagine? Wow. Remarkable. Remarkable. And And like all things... That imagery is so impactful for young kids to see and and dream and and uh, strive towards in their own right. So really wonderful. How many kids do you think in these forty eight years, going on forty nine years? How many do you estimate that you all have have instructed and trained how to swim, Doctor Vlag? I I tried to be conservative because there is a period of time where I don't have even records for what has been done. Mm-hmm. I. Conservatives say like around 15,000, but really. And, and I think that's pretty conservative. Yeah, coach. <laughs> yeah, that's conservative. It was probably more like 25, 20, 25,000. Yeah. I mean, just think of that and, and let's split the difference. Let's call it 20,000. Yeah. Okay. In this region, in this community, predominantly black children. Okay. Increasingly, I believe some more adults, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but 15, 20,000 people you've given new life skill to, oh, yeah. new confidence to, yes. uh, new determination to. I, I just I, I just can't overstate enough how, <laughs> how remarkable I think it is. What about the ages? Let's talk about the ages. Is there a, an age that's, that's preferred, that's better? Is there an age that's too young or too old to learn to swim? Well, I think that you can start as young as you can get them in the water in terms of water introduction. But I honestly, for me, I honestly start lessons with a child that's four. No questions asked. They're tall enough to stand up at that particular point. They have enough to grasp on the English language. Their motor skills, excuse me, and their coordinative skills are fairly strong enough. They understand. Uh, and then they can learn how to swim. Younger than that, I, to me, I think that's sometimes selling a dream. Mm, people okay. will pay. For the babies, they pay for the babies all day long. You know that when you sure. think about a kindergarten graduation, everybody oh and their whole family generation coming from across the country will be there to see little Kwame graduate kindergarten. <laughs> and when Kwame graduate college, when they all should be there, they get a little bit too busy sometimes. Huh? Busy for that. So the point yeah. is, people spend money for the young ones. But nevertheless, start them young. But I would say that the optimum age, my dad used to say this all the time. I used to hate it when he said it. I would say, hey, that's a strong word. He said, mm-hmm. girls are smarter than boys. Girls are smarter than boys. And it's not that girls are smarter than boys. It's just that girls listen better than boys. 
and their motor skills and their coordinator skills develop faster than boys. So the optimum age and the best student is a girl between the ages of eight and 12. Okay. You can teach that child how to swim all day long and twice on Sundays and not even think twice about it because they're sharp. They listen well. They're sharp enough where their motor skills and coordinator skills work very well. And swimming is all about moving your body without looking. I'm a father of three girls. I'm going to have to edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's great information. That's terrific. Let me ask you this. Some of the older students that you've had, who are some of the older and is there an age that's too old? I ask because it is a low impact sport as far as joints. It's not running. It's not a marathon, at least in in a casual way when I think about sports or talk about them. Cycling and swimming are some of the ones that you can do a little kinder and gentler on your body, but not sacrificing fitness. Certainly, once you learn how to swim, it's something that you can do for the rest of your life. I've had someone in terms of learn to swim, 82 has been the oldest. It was so funny okay. because she would, I would, you know, talk to the people in the beginning of the class, let them know what I wanted them to do. We all get in the water. I said, okay, this is what I want you to do. And then she would walk over to me and she'd say, okay, I heard you, Mr. Thor, but let me tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> and then, and, and she, would say, she would say, you know, I'm old enough to be your grandmother, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. So if that's what you feel, no problem. We good with that. Yeah. Um, you had a special exception, yeah, I think. Exactly <laughs> right. And I did, you know, I did have a gentleman who was 76. I'll never forget. He was 76. He was very athletic, very fit for 76. He had a girlfriend who was 55 and he learned how to swim. He he claimed he never knew how to swim and jumped off the diving board and swam down the pool. I couldn't believe it. I, oftentimes I run into people people like that. Um, but I will never forget that gentleman. He was 76. I've had people older, 70 plus that come in and do very well. You know, well, he was swimming down them young girls. He yeah. was chasing them down. So he, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he was doing it too. Let me tell you. He was, uh, but swimming is something that you can do for the rest of your life. It just gives you overall health and wellness, even for your special needs, gives them the sensory that they need. It gives you the cardio that you need. It gives you the muscle tone, the water resistance. It is, as you said, less impactful on your joints. And certainly in terms of rehabilitation, aquatic therapy is wonderful. So it's a major part of rehab uh, is is aquatics and and, uh, water aerobics. You see that everywhere where you go on vacations or such. So water is something that you can do Forever. And, then they, and then also it has a social element. And certainly as you look into your retirement communities and things of that nature, they have pools. And it's not that you expect people of 70 plus to get in the pool and swim lap after lap after lap, but just getting in the water and moving around some certainly does um, mm-hmm. keep them as active as possible. And then, you know, like I said, it's the social element, just getting out, being in the water. That's all very, very helpful. So you want them to have... Everybody can have something. Everyone. 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 What about some of the evolution here? Now, you mentioned everyone will do a lot for the for the young kids. They they do the babies. We have a lot of hope and investment in the children. But what about adults? What about these, you know, 30, 40, 50 year olds? Are you seeing the same more or less of those as as the years have gone on? Interestingly enough, I have seen a increase in the adults wanting to learn how to swim. And that makes me very, very happy. Now, typically you have your 18 to 28, 32, 18, 32. I don't get a lot of those because they're doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you after, once you pass that 32 mark, you find that people are a little bit more stable. They can afford to. Their lifestyle is a little bit more settled and they can afford to spend not only the money, but the time to invest in themselves. Obviously, at that age, you may have kids and you're busy with the kids, but some of them, uh, when they're starting to push 40, 45 and 50, are now being able to spend more time achieving the things that they want to. And I'm certainly seeing a lot of adults who are saying, you know, I didn't know how to swim at one point. It was my kids. Now this is my time. This is for me. I need to know how to do this. And they're coming. They're coming uh, because also they can afford to go on vacation. Yeah. Well, it's a big deal, right? Now you go into the islands, you go into these places mm-hmm. and you're tired of looking around and saying, you know, the water's beautiful, but I can't do nothing with it. So uh, now it brings up something, though. You're, you're, you're a 38 year old, 48 year old black woman. Mm-hmm. 
with the body of a black woman. Right. What role do you think it plays to go to a black instructor when you're in that intimate, vulnerable space? Uh, well, I would say something a little bit to the side of what you said. Okay. Certainly, um, their body shape can certainly cast a negative on them swimming. But I would say that's not an issue because you can wear something like a leotard or mm-hmm, shorts. Mm-hmm. And obviously body images are, are, are universal, you know, across genders. But I use that as an example. But as a, as a black woman who can be very curvy, um, certainly they can wear something that kind of covers them. And I actually suggest that they do that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but you need comfort to be able to take the instruction. That you need to. Correct. That mm-hmm. is correct. But I think more than that, what I would say, and you mentioned it, is that them coming to someone that looks like them mm-hmm. is more important because then they know that I have a level of empathy mm-hmm. in terms of giving instruction because he's black and he understands that most black people can't swim. So he understands me being frantic. Yes. And he's going to yes. be more patient with me. I and can certainly see that. Okay. that is the case. I can see that. I think that is more important than them covering because they typically do that. You know, they, I tell them to put one piece and some of them wear like a, like I said, like a, a leotard and it goes down and covers their legs. Some of them wear arm and all that kind of shorts, whatever, whatever you want to wear is fine. No, but wait a minute now, because one one neighborhood always there's always, you know, sexy Miss Susan yeah. or something. So yeah. I know you're going to have yeah. a couple of them in there doing too much fashion at the at the pool. Yes, <laughs> that's true. You do have that. I will have some. You know, we have 10 classes. We'll have some that got a new bathing suit on every night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and, how people, you know, and, yeah. and if I don't tell them, do not wear a bikini or a tankini, they'll be wearing it, you know. Oh, my goodness. They'll be wearing oh it. So, and, and, you know, in terms of just, you know, keeping it in with all the curves and stuff, you need a one piece to keep all that under control. But, okay. uh, but I, I would say that uh, primarily them being in a comfortable space in terms of them um, having an instructor that looks like them is probably more important to them because I find I'm, I'm, I know that when you are taught by someone who may not have the same ideologies that you have, it's going to impact how you view them and then what they say to you and how that's received. Sure. What about obstacles, challenges, someone who's reluctant? Why, you know, hair in the pool is going to be an issue. Yes, it is. Uh, And when I talk to them in the very beginning, I let them know, hey, you need to get you need to be working on this. And right now, thank God, Amazon is a lot more accommodating to people of color. It has the type of caps that cover locks and dreads and all types of hair that's flowing, whether it's yours or you paid for it or what have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amazon has those types of caps. Really? Okay. Now, that's excellent. I didn't know that. Amazon has them. You can go in there and get them. Uh, when you go to the typical learn to swim store, you know, or just your swim store, they may not have it. Their long hair cap is not the same as ours. Mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. Amazon is very accommodating to that. I also would, would say that um, the women also, some of them are in the natural hair thing. So they do uh-huh, that. Sure. so that makes it easy for them. Let's say I'm uh, I'm a natural hair person. Is there damage? Is there concern I need to be worried about about being in a, a chlorinated pool? Is this something? Is it a daily wash that needs to be done? Uh, you know, these are some other concerns with a lot of natural hair that can become somewhat complex. Well, I, I can't say that I'm a stylist. I never played one on TV. My daughter is a licensed cosmetologist, and she probably would say something a little different. I have heard of women saying that they get their hair braided and that they are and they seem like they are the type of women who are into taking care of their hair. So in them getting their hair braided and them rinsing it after class, they can usually make the two week stretch. And then after that, then they go and get their hair serviced in a major way. But and then they don't need to braid it until they right. are on their way to Kirk, uh, Turks and Caicos. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> so them being able to do that with the cap. Um, have it braided. Um, they can make that two week thing and it usually works out very well. Uh, obviously with our people of color, whether it be male or female, we put oil in our hair and chlorine mm-hmm. does a excellent job of stripping all the oil out of your hair. <laughs> so that's why you need to wear a cap where other ethnicities, they don't, you know, they don't have to put not, not having that issue. Sure. That sure. Issue. We do. So certainly, you know, you um, wearing a cap will protect your hair from being stripped. 
of all the oil. You do that. You rinse as much as you can the chlorine out of your hair and you, you do that. So it, for women, that is a challenge, especially if you, you know, have a certain type of hairstyle and you want to try to maintain that. That does become a challenge for women sure. in particular. A couple more questions there. Just just logistics. You mentioned two weeks. Is that the duration of your adult class and the youth classes? Yes, that's the standard one. I do have shorter ones depending upon the age of the student or what the adult is looking for. But a standard two-week class every night, Monday through Friday for two weeks, gives the adults a good finished product. A lot so of- let's talk about that product or how you assess proficiency or success. Mm-hmm. Someone who can't swim at all, just splashes in the water and sinks to the bottom. Mm -hmm. What is the expectation after two weeks of instruction with you? After two weeks, number one, you should be able to jump off the dive board and swim down the pool. That's what we're going for. Mm -hmm. We're We're also looking for you to be able to retrieve an item from the deep end of the pool up from the bottom of nine or 10 feet and make it to the side on your own in terms of adults. Also in terms of adults, I do teach adults how to tread. A treading is not a level one skill, but I will be honest with you, as an instructor of people of color, you know, we have such a high percentage of people who cannot swim. It behooves me as a good instructor, and it certainly prepares them to build a toolbox and put everything in it that they need so that they can save themselves. They don't have people to look around to save them. Mm-hmm. Most of mm-hmm. them can't swim, so they got to know how to do everything, and I've got to do it. That one session, I got to get all that in. Now, treading water, is this is this an activity that you should feel is an effort or should treading water be something more towards effortless? At first, it is going to be an effort. The smoother and the better you get with it, it will be effortless. Okay. But okay. it is an effort to learn how to tread. I mean, after all, you got to remember that swimming in general is not like running because when you run or when you do aerobic exercise or any sort, at one point when your touch, when your body, your foot, your leg, your buttocks touches the ground, in theory, your body rests. When you're swimming, your body is not touching anything that you can rest on. Everything is working. So you're going to get a good workout. So, yeah, it's going to be some effort. Yes, it is going to be some mm-hmm. effort. But, again, it's a full body workout, and you can get everything in. You can get a good workout with everything in a shorter period of time because everything's working. <laughs> everything is working. <laughs> everything okay. is working. So being able, as you mentioned, get down to the bottom of your 9, 10-foot depth, get to the side, off the diving board, swim across. That's a that's a two-week measure of success for people. Yeah. They should be able to do that feeling comfortable, not in that panicked state. That's correct. Also, in the two-week time, I'm going to be able to uh, work on their endurance and just give them some more foundationary skills, um, sharpening uh, their stroke, different things in the second week where it is not only that you are I've learned something I'm going to ask you to implement, to, to do what you've learned so that we can sharpen it, make you a strongest one and give you some endurance. And then at that particular point, I say to them, in the beginning of the course, you need to make certain that now that you've learned, you're not throwing good money to a bad idea. And that is that now that I've learned, I don't have to practice anymore. I'm good. Stay with it because that's not true. Mm-hmm. If you not use a skill, you'll lose it. And going mm. on vacation, jumping off the boat, trying to do some snorkeling is not the time to remember that you haven't been swimming in three three years. That's not the time to remember that. So you need to practice it. And I say to them, now that you learn, now that class is over in July or August, now that it's over, two times in September, you need to go swimming. Two times in October, you need to go swimming. Two times in November and December. And those are the months that it's a little bit more difficult to go swimming because we may not be going on vacation. The pools are closed, so you've got to seek out a place. You've got to do it on purpose, and that's more difficult. But if you do not use it, you lose it. You don't want to regress. You don't want to lose what you've learned. So I oftentimes tell them, I need you to think about this now. How are you now, going to implement that into your regular routine of swimming twice a month? Wonderful. And and that accountability, you know, again, this is a life-saving skill. Let's talk uh, a bit here. The rest, you not only are doing instruction, but you also have a swimming team. Two of them, yes. Okay. What, what What's the ages? And, and tell me a little bit about the uh, the teams that you're, you're coaching. Well, I, as you know, have been teaching swimming for quite some time. I got tired of the kids learning how to swim and go get on other swim teams in the area. So I started my own swim team 
Uh, it was developmental uh, for the first few months. And then I uh, achieved USA Swimming, which is Maryland Swimming Certification. So it is a national team, if you will. I have all the certifications. So that's been around for, we are now seventh season. We are probably the newest team in Baltimore in terms of color. In the Baltimore, Maryland area, there are about 40, 45 teams. Only three are of color. BCSC, Baltimore City Swim Club, they've been around for 30 years. CSAC, CSAC, that's Coppin State. Both of them are part of the municipality. Baltimore City Swim Club, Coppin State, they're part of the mm-hmm. municipality. And then my team formats. And then you. And then mm-hmm. I'm a private team. So um, with that being said, um, but, I, but I just felt like I wanted to do that for the kids to give them that exposure. I mean, we see uh, these people on TV doing the Olympics and they're swimming and all that kind of stuff. Well, they just don't fall out the sky. They practice in some way. They're working on their skills. And it's not necessarily always at school. There's a club team. So that's the club team that I have. We've been doing that. And then also after the adults finish, I said, you got to swim twice a month, minimally twice a month. So I also offer that to adults. So I have a U.S. master swim team as well where my adults swim. And they swim actually twice a week. And they do laps because some adults want to swim laps and they want to use swimming as their vehicle for health and wellness. Sure. So, sure. you know, I teach them the competition of strokes. We learn how to dive, we learn how to swift turn, and they can compete. Uh, in our community, our swimmers of color who learn as adults are not necessarily interested in competing so much, but they could go to meets where they wow. can meet people like Cullen Jones or Michael Phelps, these people who used to swim competitively but now just want something to do, they could meet somebody like that and swim against people like that. Or maybe other people of ethnicity, other ethnicities who've been to college and swam and now they want to use swimming as their meet. So you could meet people like that. But in our community where you have people who are not learning how to swim until 30, 40, 50, they don't want to compete. They just want to use swimming as their vehicle to maintain a healthy lifestyle. And so uh, one of those individuals, they come in, they they, they get through one of the, the basic courses. You have more advanced courses, but uh, wh- where do they need to be if they want to just be able to go and swim some laps at the at the local pool to stay fit? Would the two-week session two cover week that? To do that. You can go that two-week session will set you up to be able to do that. Wow. You can do Amazing. it on your own if you want, or if you want to come join the team, you can do that too. Now, in the team, I do a lot of instruction because, again, in our community, I must remember where the people are coming from. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we are of color. We don't have the access. We don't have the generational access mm-hmm. and support. So you got to keep that in mind um, yeah. to keep them engaged in, in swimming. But certainly there's a lot of instruction that goes on there. And it's just good to be amongst other people who look like yourself, who are of the same age as you are, that are doing what you're doing. And yeah, that fantastic. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a new community. What's next? Any plans for the organizations for you? You're going to yes. keep doing what you've been doing yeah, or what's I'm coming? Doing, what's coming down the pipe? Doing. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing, but I am looking to move into an indoor facility. So I'm trying to get all the things lined up now. And if it, if you or you know anybody who's got an open checkbook, I'll take that too. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Trying to... Uh, gather the funds so that I can move forward once the business plan and all the boxes are checked in terms of what I need to have so that I can go forward. I think that it would be good for me to have an indoor space for the adults to be able to go to where they feel comfortable. I was talking to one of the uh, masters uh, swimmers and she said that and she travels down from Laurel Mm-hmm. twice a week to swim. And she said, you know, Mr. Thorpe, I've been at some of the other facilities and I just don't feel like I belong there. You know, it's just, it's just the looks that I get. I don't feel, you know. Yeah. And so my point is, if you're yeah. traveling from Laurel to Pikesville. Yeah, she's driving a good 35, 45 yeah, minutes yeah, to get to you. more than one or two pools to <laughs> swim at. That's my point. Yeah. So it's wow. not that. It's just that you want to go where you feel comfortable. And so for me, the backyard has been a great thing. It has a historical significance on 50 years soon. But I want to be able to have a indoor facility for our people. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm only going to have just our people there, but I want our people to have a safe place to be able to come, everybody, and inclusive of of our entire community. And I mentioned it earlier, but certainly I don't want to forget about children that have special needs. Absolutely. Because for those families to be able to be included, if just for a short period of time, why they in the world, that means the world to the family. What a great outlet. What a great outlet. Yeah. And where can people 
reach you, not only for swim instructions, but as you mentioned, uh, to follow and, and perhaps help contribute and donate to, to the, the next cause? Well, if they are going to donate to the next cause and they just want to write me a check, just call me and I will take you out to dinner and we'll make it real easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to do. <laughs> and I'm going to take you to dinner. And, uh, yeah. But I have an Instagram page, 4M Swim Club underscore, 4M Swim Club underscore. One more time, 4M Swim Club underscore. Uh, you can go in there and follow us. There. And that's the number four. Uh, yes, the number four. Thank you mm-hmm. for pointing that out. Don't do much with Facebook. I do more with Instagram, but I do have a Facebook page. And then my web address is the number four, like the digit four, as you mentioned, the letter M as in Marvin, 4M, S as in swim, and R as in recreation, 4MSR.com. That stands for 4M Swim and Recreation. I am in the processes of redoing some things, but 4MSR will take you to my main landing page and you'll be able to see a little bit about all that's going on. Uh, and I'm I'm excited about it. I really am. One of the things that we mentioned, you mentioned to me earlier. I just really, ho- I'm very, very hopeful that I see adults wanting to learn how to swim. I think that is very, very good. And they're coming. I hate to turn people away. Sometimes I have to do that just because safety is always an issue. But I'm just excited when adults want to learn how to swim because you can easily make your kids do it. But adults are coming because they want to and they're tired of not being able to. And if an adult does it, then certainly that impacts the rest of the line coming up underneath of them. That's why the adults make me so very hopeful and excited to be able to to impart to them. I think that's wonderful. Let me cover a couple of um, discrepancies or myths uh, really quick. Eating and swimming. <laughs> uh, well, you shouldn't eat too heavy. I always okay. tell uh, the parents, you know, don't stop the kid by Chick-fil-A or at one point it was an old country buffet, that kind of deal. Denny's and eating the Grand Slam breakfast. They don't need to eat that much. Eat something light, a banana, a little bit trail mix. That's all. I have not met one person yet that couldn't wait a couple of hours <laughs> and eat later. Yeah, Many of yeah. them could wait a few days and not eat. <laughs> That's the truth of the matter. Now, I can't yeah. say that, but I yeah. think you understand. What I'll I'm say it. I'll say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could skip yeah. some meals here. Oh, Let's get in right, the pool. Right. So just have a banana and some water and go get your swim on. And then after you finish swimming, then you can eat. And if you're swimming on a consistent basis, you rest better, you eat more, and you are going to come to a consistent body weight. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of the muscle will tone and muscle tends to be heavier. So sometimes people gain a little weight because their muscle gets toned. Oftentimes people lose weight, but swimming on a consistent basis will help you to maintain a healthy body weight. Total body fitness. Yeah. Total body. yeah. Right. right. So, yeah. All right. All right. Now, pee it in the pool. What happens at at your pool? How how do we police this? How do we police this? We got kids, we got adults. How do we police peeing in the pool? Dr. Black, you are good. I've never been asked this question before. (laughs) I do not have the blue dye. (laughs) You know, that's the thing. Oh, don't pee. It's going to turn blue or red and all this stuff. So, no. Well, there's something called chlorine. (laughs) You put chlorine in the pool. And if you've ever had the opportunity to smell dry chlorine, it will take your breath away. You must maintain a certain level of chlorine in the pool. That's why sometimes when you go into some facilities, you smell it. Sometimes you smelling it can mean something else. But the point is that it is chlorine in the pool and chlorine will take care of that if the pool is properly adjusted. Maintained. Yeah. Okay. So and I mean, quite honestly, uh, I rent a pool, my pool, my pool, I rent a pool that's 55,000 gallons. Mm -hmm. My pool in my backyard is 32,000 gallons. You got to pee a whole lot. You got to pee a whole lot to amount to 32,000 gallons of water. It's a, it's a bit of dilution going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, now, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want any. I don't want any. Well, yeah, yeah. well now don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> most, most, people, most people are pretty clandestine with it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and it happens. Kids are going to do that. Now, obviously, if you have the other one, then sure. you need to do some other things. And, and and is how big of a disruption is that to your to your course for the day to kind of have to, to to clear out? Um it can be a disruption like you got to get everybody out of the pool depending upon how solid the matter is you got a net you got to you got to vacuum the pool out you have to shock it. So 
that's, that can disrupt the coming up classes. Um, sometimes, depending on how bad it is, we done for the day. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, got to, we got to cycle overnight. We got to yeah. clean the filter, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it's a four hour cycle that you can do. The, do the young ones use kind of a, a swimming um, diaper, I guess? Uh, well, that's part of the reason why I start at four. Because oh, they have more control. Here. Yes, they have more control. They can tell you that they need to go to the bathroom. Sometimes they are telling you that they go into the bathroom so they can hide in the bathroom. That's right. And not have to But the Thorpe swimming is scared. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're old enough to be able to tell you, you let them go to the bathroom, they come back. You know, you okay. want to engage them in such a way that they understand and they know that if they have to use a facility, they can. And then that usually works out to be very well. They do have swim diapers for children, uh, uh, people who have other issues. When you talk about children that have special needs or adults, they do have diapers. They do have swim diapers for them. So Mm -hmm. those are the type of questions that you ask those families and situations so that you are aware of that and that you're properly uh, prepared if something like that should happen. Now, you've had to do a, a slight reduction uh, with COVID as far as your enrollment, yeah. but you are still rolling. You are still yeah. doing instruction in classes. Yes. Last summer was the first summer that I can ever remember of all 40 some years. I didn't have any classes in June and it wasn't that I didn't have anything to do in the water at all. I did have my swim team practicing, but there was very few. Uh, but in terms of learn to swim, typically I might have a class of two dozen, 30, 35, 40, depending on how many kids, I, depending on how hard I want to work. For real. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can also put the kids one on top of the other. They don't mind getting next to each other. But last year, I only took 12 to 15 kids in a class. And so I had people sending in registrations in June and I didn't even have classes. So all those people rolled over to July. By the time people started thinking about me having class, I was closed for the summer. August was all booked out. So I am going to do regular classes June, July, August, but I am going to limit it to about 18, 20 kids. Uh, which is in some cases half of what I usually do. I just feel that a smaller number is a safer environment, even though things are getting better. I still just want to make sure that I am safe for myself. I want to live. I want my staff to live and I want the children to be reporting back home safe like they were when they came. So seems like an excellent approach. 4MSR.com. Coach Thorpe, you are a treasure. An absolute treasure for our community, for our region. I'm I'm so in awe and admiration of you. I appreciate this time. I appreciate what you've been doing and the legacy that you're continuing. Really remarkable, remarkable stuff. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to have a gala when my uh, institution becomes 50 years old. I would love to have someone like you to be able to present because it is um it is beyond my level of thinking of where all of the children have gone, what they're doing. Like when you called and you said, well, I came swimming. You said, well, I do this. I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. I can't even wrap my mind around that. I wouldn't miss it, coach. So I would love to have you. So, but wouldn't miss it. Thank you for the time that I've enjoyed. Thank you today. We will be in touch. Yes. All right. Yes. Coach Marvin Thorpe, the second. Thank you, sir. You got it. Thank you. (laughs) 